and welcome to Intellectual Property Magazine's podcast. I'm Bo Modecki, and this is our Brexit Aftermath special. On the pod today is SITMAR President Richard Goddard. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hi, Ben. Very good, thank you. Wonderful stuff. Also on the pod is the British Copyright Council's Technology Working Party Chair, Andrew Yates. Andrew, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me on the panel. My pleasure. And finally, Noah Partner and the Law Society's IP Committee member, Michael Hawkins, joins us. Michael, how are you? I'm very well, Ben. Thanks uh, for having me again. It's good to be back. We're grateful to have you all back. And with introductions out of the way, let's get on with the pod. Today, we're talking all about Brexit. The transition period is over, the deal has been struck, but we brought our members of our initial panel back to look at the aftermath. Richard, let's come to you first. Can you quickly summarise for our listeners what the deal and the exit means for your respective IP area? So as far as trademarks and designs are concerned, the most obvious change is the um, the huge task of cloning existing EU trademark registration and designs onto the UK register. And uh, we're very pleased um, that that went so smoothly. Changes to rules on the UK address for service for um, registered trademarks and and designs, meaning that new proceedings before the UK IPO will require a UK address, although that that change won't apply to the the cloned rights for three years. And then the end of transition also means that most UK practitioners will not be able to act in a professional capacity before the EU IPO. So that is a a big change, although UK-based practitioners will be able to continue to act in relation to ongoing proceedings. So pending trademarks, applications, and so on. Things go um, thus far, everything seems to have gone relatively smoothly. Michael, let's come to you next. What does this mean for you and, and yourself as a practitioner and other practitioners, especially considering, you know, you are based in, in Alicante in Spain, the home of the EUIPO. Can you outline a bit for us? Um, well, as Richard said, so there have been changes to the address for uh, service rules in, in the UK. So that particularly affects me being outside of the UK, of course, although I'm, I'm a UK lawyer. Um, Unfortunately, the trade and cooperation agreement that was reached between the UK government and and the EU does provide for some provision of legal services uh, cross-border and that goes beyond the general agreement on trade and services, for example. That's something the Law Society has very much welcomed. So it allows UK lawyers to provide their advice on their home law and, and public international law in the EU member states subject to some restrictions. There are some concerns about the agreement in relation to civil judicial cooperation, for example. That's that's a big issue that we have from the Law Society perspective, because if, if you look at the trade and cooperation agreement, there are provisions for criminal uh, cooperation and uh, and customs enforcement cooperation between the UK authorities and the EU authorities, but it is silent on civil judicial proceedings. And that's something, of course, as IP practitioners, we are very much used to engaging in and, and we relied on the old Brussels regulation, which will no longer apply. The UK last year applied to join the Lugano Convention, which would sort of substitute the Brussels regime. However, so far that has not been a accepted on the UK, on the EU side, and it is not dealt with in, in the trade and cooperation agreement, unfortunately. So the Law Society is still pushing for that to, to happen, and I'm pretty confident that it will happen um, because it's in the interests of everyone that there is cooperation 
on a civil judicial level. But I think in general, so there, there are changes, of course. This agreement is uh, as a platform for further cooperation and it provides structures for the UK Intellectual Property Office and the EU IPO, for example, to continue cooperating and to continue engaging in stakeholder initiatives, things like that. So it's better than having nothing, that's for sure. Thank you. And, and Andrew, as well to you, what does this mean for you guys on the copyright side of things? Well, I think for the copyright community, the IP chapter in the Trade and Cooperation Agreement provides an important statement to support the future application of these complementary rules, which allow for the development and introduction of more expensive protection and enforcement of IP rights than those actually outlined in the chapter. And I think in this context, it's very helpful that it's not purely referring in the objectives to the advancement of technology, but instead recognizes the importance of the provisions facilitating the production, uh, provision and commercialization of innovative and creative products and services, and ensuring adequate and effective levels of protection and enforcement of IP rights. Those are important objectives and important when you look at the more technology orientated wording that are used in some other trade agreements. Thank you, Andrew. Obviously, the transition period has ended, a deal has been agreed, but do any of you feel like this is an end to some of the uncertainty we've had over the last couple of years, or does this feel like a beginning of something new? How, do any of you feel that way? Or This is Michael. So, I, I mean, I, I think the withdrawal agreement was actually a very good step in giving certainty for trademarks and designs, you know, put by the UK's departure from the EU. So we already had from the withdrawal agreement this time last year, a significant degree of, un- of certainty as to what was going to happen with the cloning of rights and things like that. The prospect of a no deal for future cooperation and so on was always there until this trade and cooperation agreement. And there are still areas that will be uncertain and haven't been defined in detail by the, the trade and cooperation agreement, such as, for example, exhaustion. Exhaustion is an issue that is uh, expressly left open for the parties to to decide individually and the UK uh, government is going to be consulting on the on the, the regime for exhaustion beginning of this year. Um, we're expecting a consultation. And that that is important because currently the UK is, the exhaustion regime is imbalanced because the UK is continuing with EEA exhaustion as though it were still an EEA member state, whereas the EU has said that that doesn't apply anymore. And so parallel imports from the UK do not fall under the exhaustion regime. So there. There is an imbalance there, and it is important that the UK defines its uh, its exhaustion regime going forward. And I think that's one one of the big remaining uncertainties, I would say, affecting IP. Thanks, Michael. Andrew, Richard, do either of you see any issues? Yeah, Andrew, go ahead. I've got um, four things, really. I mean, I don't think the wording of the trade and cooperation agreement itself actually helps resolve the practical uncertainties that were flagged during the Brexit process. As Michael says, some of those were ironed out earlier. But I do think that we do now have an opportunity to address the practical future and economic impact of the reciprocity provisions linked to the possible future divergence of the UK and EU in terms of the provisions which are based in the directives and regulations under the copyright are key as opposed to the wider international treaties. That's one thing. The second is in line with other trade agreements, there isn't an express provision about exhaustion, but the consultation that Michael referred to is going to be very, very important for UK SMEs 
to look at the way that parallel imports might actually work as far as they are concerned. And I do think there needs to be a degree of flexibility into the, to address the concerns of different types of business that rely on IP. And where the wording of the IP chapter is now more detailed than has been the case in IP chapters of other trade agreements, it'll be important that the precedents that are set by this new wording are carefully addressed in the context of those wider trade negotiations because there is a general concern that reinforcement of the flexible provisions in the trade agreement wording, like recognition of the Byrne three-step test, is very, very important, whereas some trade agreements have perhaps been over-enthusiastic of translating detailed wording of individual nations' legislation, US MDMCA provisions, for example, where in the end that prescriptive wording actually creates difficulties for a flexible trade agreement going forwards. Thank you, Andrew. Richard, anything to add? Do you, obviously, there was a lot of uncertainty that, that Michael and Andrew referenced to in terms of the build-up towards this deal. Do you feel a little bit more at ease? Do you feel that trademark practitioners feel a little bit easier now we've got this deal? What's your take? I mean, to really echo some of Michael's points there in the sense that there, there was a quite a, a good degree of certainty around um, a lot of aspects of IP for some time. There hasn't been a, a sort of um, a huge difference in terms of the level of, of worry in the profession um, in those areas. One area which there was um, uncertainty around until more recently was the, um, the the issue of address for service. And um, we're very pleased that the, the government moved their position on that area to provide more certainty for UK trademark practitioners. And then on an exhaustion, um, really just to, to again, um, agree with Michael that this is the main area where there is still a bit of a question mark. We know that the government is going to be consulting on this area and certainly the IPO have, have, have indicated that they've heard very strongly that if were to be a change to the exhaustion regime that um, that industry would require uh, a fairly long lead time to um, to get ready. So we're expecting at least 12 months between any change being announced and that coming into effect to uh, allow people to get ready. Thanks Richard. It, it seems to never end. One would consider Brexit effectively done and yet we're still going. On that, Richard, to start with you straight away, what should the UK be focusing on now in terms of IP? You mentioned those exhaustion rights there. What changes are you guys looking to see? Well, I don't think that there's any sort of burning issues in terms of rights, um, trademarks and designs that we really want to see change on. The the law is is relatively settled. And, and certainly, I think what, what trademark um, and design owners um, would like to see uh, in most cases is a, a period of stability. As you mentioned, exhaustion is an area which um, we expect uh, to see a focus on in the coming months. And and whilst there is, um, there is scope for the UK position to diverge from the EU in terms of, of case law, I don't think that there are any areas in which we would really be sort of lobbying for major change. So it's really a case of, of, of wait and see. There are some areas which we might anticipate a little bit more change um, in terms of the courts. I wouldn't expect change to come soon in terms of divergence from the EU position. Thanks, Richard. Andrew, let's come to you. One, one potential change is the, obviously we didn't adopt the EU copyright directive and we now have the ability to consider 
something taking on our own directive changes, our own legislative changes. Is that something that the BCC and and you guys want the UK to be focusing on the copyright side of things? Anything to add on that? Yes, I mean, I think there's probably a a greater priority at the moment, which is looking at the um, trade and cooperation agreement. There are some interesting cooperation provisions within the IP chapter, which talk about, you know, how these dialogue with our European colleagues are actually going to work in terms of enforcement of IP. And I think the role of the trade specialised committee on IP is going to be important in that context. And within the UK agenda, we know that there's a lot the government are doing to address the online harms bill and the regulations surrounding that as a sort of fairly high up the list issue. And the copyright community continues to argue that the economic damage, which is caused by illegal online use and distribution of copyright, is remaining a harm which we would like to see addressed in the context of those discussions going forward and looking at platform liabilities and regulation going forward. We don't want that to get lost. That said, obviously, there is the uh, transposition of the copyright directive by EU colleagues going on. And there is going to be, as I understand it, some sensible stakeholder meetings to look at what the UK might do. And probably it is an advantage now that we can look at what is happening in other countries and how they're addressing the different provisions so that we can take stock and look at it. But um, one thing the copyright community does not want is for the government to use that as an excuse to open up the whole of copyright to another review along the lines of the Hargreaves review back in 2014. The system is working. There are some transitional provisions that we've all got to get used to. But let's not throw everything up in the air as an excuse to do nothing. Sounds like another pod topic for another day. And, and Michael, any thoughts on on focuses now? Obviously, we're talking extensively about exhaustions, but is there anything else that you see just quickly? Well, I, I would echo what Richard and Andrew said. I mean, enforcement is going to be a, a big issue for the UK to maintain its its leading position in the enforcement of IP rights in, in the future in order to continue encouraging investment in the, in the economy. And, and so on. On a practical level, I think the UK IPO has done an outstanding job at being able to maintain very good examination times for trademarks and designs and so on. Those have slipped from what they, they, they were before, which was absolutely fantastic examination times of a few days, maybe a couple of weeks. And I think it's that's normal because of the, the onboarding of all of these rights now and, and in addition, huge increases in applications in the UK, which is a good sign for the UK economy. But I would encourage the UK IPO particularly to continue investing in new examiners, in, in you hearing officers in the tribunal in order to ensure that delays are not excessive there because there will be so the, the, the UK register is is considerably from the 1st of January more cluttered than it used to be as a, as a national register and, and there are going to be more oppositions I expect and, and things like that so in order to maintain the standards that we're used to I think some more investment in, in the IPO is necessary in order to ensure that it maintains that you know a leading service quality. So just Building on from that as well, Michael, we're in a busy time anyway. Do you have any advice or words of affirmation for those in the profession who are kind of worried about what's going on at the moment or who are a bit stressed because they're either underprepared or not sure what to do? Any advice for for those trying to manoeuvre at this time? Well, it, it will take a bit of time for everyone to adjust to this new reality. There are going to be mistakes made. There are going to be delays. And I think we all have to be a little bit patient and try to figure everything out together. I tend to be quite optimistic generally and think that things always end up working out for the best or not, not necessarily for the best, but they end up working out in the end. And 
people get used to things pretty quickly. You know, we, in the legal profession, at least in the IP profession, it's such a fast-moving profession. We're used to so many changes. I would say not to worry. I mean, certainly there are certain things that need to be done, for example, uh, for protecting in the UK rights, which were in the EU still pending as of the 31st of December. But there's a period of nine months to do that. And, you know, nine months... Although it goes quite quickly, it's quite a long time to figure out what you need to do. And, you know, I think uh, there will be a lot of publications now uh, of the impact of, of this deal and, and, the, and the split between the UK and the EU IP systems and what that means. And, you know, I think uh, it's just to stay abreast of, of those materials and, and advice from, from the IPO. Andrew, Richard, any other advice or words of affirmation or wisdom that you want to impart to our listeners? I do think it's probably an opportunity to advocate that the IP framework in the UK should continue to be world leading. And I think, you know, we've got so many good examples like the development of PIPCU in the UK, the development of the IPEP um, solutions as well. All these things are terrific developments that originated from the UK. And I hope the IP professional can actually see those and seize them and uh, lead them forward in this new chapter. I think one of the positives of the, of the last few years is is really the, the way that the IP community has come together to work through some of these challenges. Certainly, I think there's more collaboration between different parts of the IP community in the UK now than there has been at any time that I've been involved. And also, sort of cooperation and dialogue with the IPO itself. The IPO has has done a great job in engaging with stakeholders in the lead up to the end of transition um, and continues to do so. And and just to sort of touch on Michael's point about, um, you know, examination times, you know, they they anticipated that these would grow and have been sort of communicating that to us. We're now on to somewhere uh, around the 42-day mark by March and then to drop, hopefully back to normal levels towards the end of the year. Really just to sort of lavish praise on the IPO about the job they have done in, in what's been a, a pretty substantial challenge on the registered rights front. And then just in terms of positivity, you know, I feel very positive about the future. It's an interesting time in um, in trademarks in the UK and designs. We, we've seen, we're seeing sort of huge levels of, of UK trademark filings. We're going to see inevitably an uptick in UK contentious proceedings. So that coupled with the, the potential for sort of divergence from EU case law, I mean, there's going to be sort of lots of lots of challenges and lots of things for us to talk about in, in the coming years. Congratulations on making it to the end of the first part of 2021. It's great to be back. I want to thank the members of our Brexit panel for returning for this pod and thank you for listening. As ever, please check out intellectualpropertymagazine.com for the latest IP news, views and developments from around the world. Thank you and please stay safe. <laughs>